Welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of March 11, 2013. This is episode 186, and I am Chris Bevelo, president of Interval. We're the healthcare marketing firm that puts on the podcast. With me today, remotely in studio, I guess, are uh, Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval, and Katie Streeter, content marketing specialist at Interval. And we have one guest with us, a very important guest, Gene Hitchcock. Hi, Gene. Hi, everybody. How are you? Good. We're good. good. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Let me let me read your background. This is this is does not do you justice, Gene, because it's about <laughs> three sentences, and I know that your background is probably a page, but we'll keep it we'll keep it to the three sentences. Gotcha. So, Vice President of Public Affairs and Marketing at MedStar Health, which is a ten hospital health system. Uh, which is in Maryland and Washington, D.C. You have more than 20 years of experience. Uh, prior to MedStar, you were the corporate VP of marketing communications at Scripps Health in San Diego, uh, among other things. I know you were at positions before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. You're, you currently hold a seat on the Health Leaders Media Editorial Board, and you've been on the board of Shushmid. You have a bachelor's degree in political science. Political science. Ooh, we should talk about that. And, <laughs> and sociology from Hunter College of New York, and a master's of public administration from Western Michigan University. Welcome, Correct. Jean. Correct. Thank you. Nice to be here. So, yeah, that was kind of a quick synopsis of your background, but we were so thrilled to have you because I was saying before we started that you are in the upper echelon of healthcare marketers. That's how I would describe it. Is that a nice way of saying I've been around a while? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think, yes, you, you need to have experience to be in the upper echelon. But That's true. You're also respected for all the things that you've done, and you've got a great spirit, and you do, you're, you know, your systems always seem to do such great work. I first heard about you when you were at uh, when you were in San Diego at Scripps. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so we're just going to probe your brain. That's what we do. Is that okay? <laughs> That's fine. Are you ready for that? <laughs> I, I don't know. Is this like a Vulcan mind meld? Or <laughs> hey, you got it right. Was, <laughs> was it, was it an, uh, President Obama who said the um, Jedi mind meld or something? He, yes, he got them all. Yes, he up. got it a little wrong. Yeah, <laughs> he mixed he mixed his alien um, or his epic Star Wars saga thing together. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I saw that headline. I didn't understand what the issue was, but now I know. See, I didn't even know that was wrong. Yes. It's Jedi. I want you to know that I have been called a marketing Jedi. <laughs> nice. One of my staff called me a marketing Jedi, and I was looking at her thinking, I wonder if she's old enough to really, did she see the first Star Wars, or is she doing the new ones that aren't as well? But anyway, I'll take it. So, Yeah. Is that because like, you stand in front of your leadership and you say, these are not the billboards you're looking for? <laughs> I am your father. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Gene... Here's what we want to know from someone who, okay, so 20 years of healthcare experience, marketing experience, uh, obviously I don't think it needs to be, you can't understate the changes that are going on right now in the industry, but from your perspective, you know, what do you think of, of where we're at today and what's coming? Do you, do you see it as a, a real significant shift in many ways, uh, or do you think, yeah, you know, we've been getting through this kind of thing before, it's just different, different issues, but same kind of upheaval, you know, what's your perspective on where where we're at. Well, you know, it's an interesting question because I think we've had change in healthcare ever since I started in healthcare, whether it was DRGs or whatever it was, you know, it's always change. I think the difference here is that 
it's so much change in so many areas. I mean, it's not like a change in billing or a change in employment status for physicians or anything like that. It's a change in just about everything inside healthcare as well as outside healthcare. You know, so it, we're lots of technology change, um, a lot of treatment changes, and then the environment we're in, which is everything from Obamacare to um, systems coming together or merging and all sorts of unique partnerships. I've never seen so many partnerships of health systems that are short of mergers or acquisitions as I have in the last five years. It's crazy, isn't it? I've been doing work with clients and just did a webinar last week with two huge systems out west where, just like you said, it's in the, in the old days, that would just be a merger, but because one was faith-based and one was secular, they legally created it so it's not officially a merger, even though mm-hmm. it kind of walks like a merger and talks like a merger and squawks like a merger. <laughs> so, so they had to literally try to figure out some kind of brand solution uh, to, to work their way around that. And you're right, there's just so many of these weird iterations, and it's hard to even keep up with them all. Oh, it is. I mean, we have so many right now, and we were in the process. We rebranded MedStar just about a year ago. And in the middle of all of that, we had all these new relationships coming. And so it wasn't just rebranding what we already had, but we are in a sort of a preferred nation status with the Cleveland Clinic right now in our heart and vascular program. So we had to create logos there. In supply chain, we have a relationship with Novant and Centara, and we needed to do the same thing. So it just in lots of different areas. And and then in the, the legal or the political realm, um, there are things that we find ourselves walking in lockstep with our competitors and then in other things, you know, the next day you're on opposite sides of the table. So it's just a lot of change from a lot of different areas, and I've never seen it like this. And um, um, when I talk to my peers around the country, everyone is having the same sort of like they don't know where it's going to come from next, you know, the next thing they have to deal with. Right. And and you think about it like in terms of, leadership and physicians and all of us internally, but what about the poor healthcare consumer? Good well, gravy. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I um, something happened in my personal life in 1988 that required me to become the real patient advocate for a member of my family. And so I have always done my job um, with the patient voice front and center. In fact, I used to start branding meetings by bringing this stuffed teddy bear into the room, into these very corporate offices, you know, and I'd put the teddy bear in the middle of this long conference table, and I'd say, okay, we're going to talk about positioning and branding and messaging, and it's not about us. It's about the patient, and this bear is going to represent the patient. And it's so funny how people could could switch it when you gave them something to visualize and focus on. And they'd start to say something. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, that's what we want to say. What do the patients want to hear, you know? And um, we do a lot of secret shopping to bring the voice of the patient into operations and everything we do because we just confuse them. Right. You know? And when people talk about, oh, my God, what is the government or what is the insurance company doing to us next in terms of regulation or whatever, well, you know what? We brought that on ourselves. You know, we, um, we, we created a system that nobody in their right mind would design from scratch the way we've got it now. And somehow people have to navigate this. In fact, you will, um, if you talk to my staff, you'll hear as soon as someone mentions we have to have a navigator to do X, Y, or Z, I just, my blood pressure just goes up because I'm like, fix the operations and you don't need a navigator. 
you know, why do we need to ha- add bodies to get people to get through our facilities? You know, <laughs> and um, you know, if it's that bad, fix the operations. Don't throw a body at it. It doesn't help. It just adds expenses. So I've I've been the patient advocate for a long time, and we just hired a wonderful guy here from um, uh, the University of Illinois in Chicago, um, a real national patient safety and quality expert, and he is actually going to work with uh, Georgetown University on creating a whole patient safety curriculum, and there's a whole patient advocacy part to that that I'm working on with him, which I'm just thrilled about. Oh, that's really cool. That's very exciting. I, I I picture that teddy bear sitting there. Have you seen the movie Ted? No, not yet, but I saw him on the um, Academy Awards, and I'm like, hmm, I might have to look at that. Yeah. My, teddy, my teddy bears were very polite. They never spoke. Oh. <laughs> so, so when you think about all of this, you know, how are you preparing your team for, for these changes as far as a, a marketing or a communication standpoint? I mean, there are some components of this uh, that if they actually came through the way some folks are predicting, such as a shift from fee to service to, uh, you know, bundled care or uh, accountable care or literally getting paid to keep people out of the hospital or population health management, it really changes the dynamic. I mean, how are you talking to your team about that? Mm-hmm. Well, I I arrived here about three years ago, and I had, like everybody, when you inherit a staff, you know, you have some people who get it, some people who are pretty neutral and say, just tell me what to do, and then some people who are just holding on to the past, praying to God nothing changes, you know. And I think in three years, we've pretty much broken through that veil of it is going to change. So if if you're not ready to move or make changes, then you need to leave. You know, this is not the place for you, because I want to model the behavior of people who can be adaptive. Um, And so then what we did was we really worked with people and said, let's look at everything. You know, let's look at how we're structured, how we budget, how we do everything. And um, we have, and it's been um, painful. I mean, you know, people are used to doing their own budgets and controlling this and da-da-da-da, and um, we've really had to say to them from a branding perspective, you got to stay on message. You have to stay on message. You have to really provide and go out there with messages that support the positioning and the brand going forward. That's a very different mindset than people who are saying, I've got to fill my bariatric surgery program. I need an ad, you know. It's very, very different. And so some people are, are moving along and some aren't, but I I will tell you, I have spent, um, um, I, I created Marcom University, and I put everybody who works for me through their paces. I have a one-on-one course. We have courses on production, um, courses on change management, and either I lead them or I bring people in. But these are people who are on the front lines and need to have all of this stuff, so we're starting from the same plate. Same thing. Wow, that's phenomenal. You should you should figure out a way to package and license that because there are a few other organizations I can think of that could benefit from that. Well, you know, uh, Chris, a long time ago we did a course called Your Healthcare MBA in a Day, and we did it. It started out as a workshop that we were doing at um, Shizmed, three of us, and so many people asked for it. We went to them and said, you know, we're willing to do this if you want to charge for it. We don't care. Just cover our expenses. And we did a lot of them, and then we just couldn't do it anymore. Anymore. Our, our schedules got too busy, but it amazed me how popular that was because it covered everything from market research through doing a marketing plan to um, the patient experience. So yeah, we we have the whole curriculum. It's you know it's, it it is something that people ask me for a lot. 
Wow, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So, so let me ask you this: What you know in your day to day, as you think about you know what you, what you're dealing with, what's causing you the biggest pain? What's your biggest pain in the butt to deal with? Mm. Well, I, I it's not a pain. It's it's just the cards I've been dealt. You know, if you know anything about this geography, we have four hospitals in Baltimore. We have three that are in the District of Columbia, one that's in a bedroom community of the District of Columbia, and then two in Southern Maryland. And those are three very different geographies, you know. So the people make decisions very differently. The media markets are very different. So you really can't do anything from a system perspective except very high-level branding. So we've really gone to more regional messages because of the way the media market is and the way patients come to us. So while there's not very far to drive, and I drive to both cities every week, it's nigh to impossible to get patients to go from D.C. to Baltimore and vice versa. They just think it's another world, you know? Right. So we have really spent a lot of time then filling in the geography um, amongst all those locations with a lot of ambulatory development, which has been great. It's just that it is so fast that, um, you know, and and we're not staffed for that because all of the staffing came out of the hospitals. So we've done a lot of that out of the corporate office, and um, it's been really a race to keep up with them. I think we're opening nine um, urgent care centers in the next 12 months. Wow. So, yeah, it's tremendous. So that's been the shift from, as you said earlier, from hospital care to ambulatory. We're in it every day. So... when I speak with larger systems, a lot of them struggle with that very same uh, challenge, which is, uh, you know, many of them are what would you call a unified brand, a system mm-hmm. brand, but they are in different markets, obviously, and each market's different, and their their offerings and facilities are different, and there's this constant push and pull between wanting to have a system brand in its truest sense, meaning consistency of experience. Uh, but also wanting to have that flexibility of, hey, you know, we may have some commonality and there may be some high-level brand consistency, but we also have to offer this service here and not over here and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, do you guys have, you have a unified brand, right? MedStar, other than maybe one facility, do you have one facility that has a different name anyway? Nope, everybody's MedStar. Okay. Everybody was co-branded. Okay. So do you do you try to to establish some sort of unified brand experience at any kind of minimal level across all of those or do you mainly have it in name and, and presentation but when it comes down like you said to how you actually uh, approach the market it could it could vary tremendously So the answer is yes and no um the yes part is branding at a high level um is consistent in all those markets one of the reasons we brought secret shopping in is no um, no um, program or service can go to market unless it passes secret shopping. And secret shopping is all about the patient. It's how the phones are answered. We have people that accompany patients as they're being treated, and all of this is fed back to the site. So they know that if they have issues with phones or nursing or therapy or something, they can do something about it. Okay, it's all actionable, but we don't market something that isn't ready to have more business. So that's sort of how we tackle that. Now, the other side of that is I am not of the opinion that every 
um, location will ever be able to provide the same experience because we have a hospital, MedStar Washington Hospital Center, 900 beds, burn unit, trauma center, whatever. It is a little city. That will always have a different tempo, pace, and feel than some of our community hospitals. So I think that there is a middle ground between um, the sites developing what is sort of right for themselves in their market and then the system coming down. And to be honest with you, I don't know anybody who would ever say that between a system and a site that the values would be much different anyway. We have the same values. How you make that real in your, your organization really depends on the site level. Right, right. And I, and I, and I try to espouse the same thing. I think you're right. You know, there's, you should never strive to think you're going to become McDonald's where the, the right. experience is 100% the same no matter where you go. It's just right. not feasible, right. even within a smaller system where you maybe have just one hospital and some outpatient facilities and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, they're, they're just different situations. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I want to ask you more about the patient experience because that's another hot button issue that I see mm-hmm. come up in conferences right, that I attend or that I see on the Shushman, right. you know, listserv. And there's this kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say there's two camps, but there's folks that believe that marketers need to own the patient experience. And there's other folks that say that's ridiculous. It, marketers can't own it because it's delivered through operations and marketers can't tell the operations folks what to do. Uh, but I believe that there is a role to be played. It's not that you just step back and let it all go. How do you try to infuse your team into, into that side of it? Well, um, I agree with you. There seems to be two camps and marketing, in my opinion, can never own it because we can't, we're not, we don't have the power to make the changes in operations. So, What I think our role is, you work side-by-side with your operations people to bring the voice of the patient in. This is how you look at this unit. This is how a patient looks at this unit. That's our role, to bring that to the discussions around operations. So when our um, executive ops committee meets on big issues, I'm there talking about the patient experience. We had an access task force that looked at all of our access issues, around our system and really looked at it not from, uh, you know, well, we did this because of this. We're like, no, 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 no. If you were a patient, how would you prefer to have it done? And let's let's try to meet their expectations. And I was a part of that. I still am a part of that, and I still have a number of projects I'm still working on with that task force. So that's the role. I'd like to see, you know, operations as our partner in this. And then we do have the role of communicating that, you know, because we do do the advertising and um, a lot of the messaging that goes on. But the actual creation of that experience has to be done part and parcel with operations. Right, right. Okay, so if you could add another 12 hours to the day, and (laughs) assuming that would be spent on work, of course, and not on your family or whatever else is fun in life, where would you you want to be spending more time if if you could find it in what you're doing? Well, I I think I mentioned, um, and this is more of my situation, not global, so forgive me. Do you want something that's more global, or you want... No, I mean, I mean if if somebody came to you with a magic wand and said, you know, Gene, I'm granting you four more well, hours. What are you going to do no with pain. it? Yeah, what are you going to do with it? Well, I tell you what. I like I said, I inherited a um, a staff and a very decentralized marketing um, program, and in three years, we have made huge strides in sort of 
you know, talking in one voice and moving, etc. There are some fine tuning I would love to do right now around um, issues management. You know, really writing position papers for MedStar on this stuff instead of scrambling it when I need it for the media, because I still do all the counseling for senior execs around those issues. And you know, to, to write and to write thoughtfully takes uninterrupted time to sit down and do it. So. That's a piece that I would love to spend more time on right now. Um, I think we've done a great job of uh, vetting contracts and vendors, so I feel really comfortable that the operations of our department is going very, very well. Um, so if I had the, the four more hours, it would be to write those things that are very thoughtful, that need to be written in a thoughtful manner, need to be researched, what have you. And um, if I could have a magic wand, because it wouldn't, it wouldn't be hours as much as a magic wand, um, there is sort of this talk about systemness, but when you get down to the site level, you know, there's still um, hesitancy on, in some parts to do that. So if I could have a magic wand and have them come to appreciate that they're stronger as part of the system than not, that would be a wish. I can't gonna, do that alone. <laughs> you're gonna need like Lord Voldemort's wand for that. It's gonna be no, like no, no. I don't want to be. He's got to be. I got to be Glinda the Good Witch. <laughs> it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Oh, totally. Voldemort is a bad thing. What was the name of all the? I didn't mean the evil side of him. And he has the. Is it the Elder <laughs> Wand? It's like the most powerful wand in the world. That's what it would require. Oh well, I think Glinda does. She also has much better shoes and dresses. <laughs> so much more attractive looking than Voldemort. Does so Voldemort that would even, be my thing. Does he even have shoes? I don't even recall. I don't know, but you know, I bet you Glinda could take him in a in a a fair up fight. <laughs> if you think about it, ruby you know, red slippers. I mean, come on. I took my my daughters to uh, the newest, the great and powerful Oz. Yeah, and I don't. They said they've seen the regular Wizard of Oz, but I don't think they really. They may have seen it, but probably don't remember it. Isn't that weird? There's Your a whole kids gener- don't remember it. Yeah, there's a whole generation. I mean, I grew up oh. with that thing. It was on every year. And Katie, have you ever seen The Wizard of Oz? I have, but it's on every Thanksgiving on CBS. Yeah. I was <laughs> Dor- I was Dorothy for one of my Halloween costumes. See, so. yeah. right. <laughs> but Chris, just to make you feel old, I went down to Disney World with my granddaughter, and there's a whole generation that doesn't know Mickey, Minnie. Right. Donald or anything because they were raised on Nemo and Toy Story. And I was talking to um, Disney the other day. We we're doing a project together, and they were saying they bought the Muppet brand and they've waited so long to bring it because there's a whole generation that doesn't know the Muppets either. Right. Right. So me and my children know the Muppets, but my grandchildren don't know the Muppets. <laughs> So, yeah, it's it's interesting what people have done with some of the brands in terms of not capitalizing or not looking at generations. Mm-hmm. Well, I already felt old because I watched <laughs> Sa- I watched Saturday Night Live with my son, who's 15, yeah. and, and some of it with my daughter, my oldest daughter, who's 12, and some of it's mm-hmm. not appropriate. But this last one, it was Justin Timberlake. Of course, they know him, but he, it was his fifth time, so they had all mm-hmm. these people who had been on. Yeah, so I'm like, so do you guys know Steve Martin? No. Martin Short, no. Dan Aykroyd, no. I'm like, wow. But Chris, that, that is... was 20, you know, Saturday Night Live is 27 years old. Is it? I mean, it's more it's... than that. It's 37, isn't it? I don't I know. I, got, I remember when that was 25. I thought that was just a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I know. I saw it, too. And Alec Baldwin and Tom Hanks and all this other stuff. Dan Aykroyd is the bartender. I mean, yeah. it was pretty funny. 
Yes. Yeah. It so. was pretty funny. <laughs> All right, so let's let's use your we'll put it in quotes experience to help those who listen Thank to our you. podcast. Yeah, uh, because you obviously have have been through so much in your experience in healthcare marketing. And again, like I said, I think one of the things your personal brand, at least as I've experienced it and heard from others, uh, is not just you're you're not just really smart about all this, but you have the spirit uh, that you still have. So because we've run into <laughs> so many healthcare marketers that are just you know they're just beaten down. Mm-hmm. And so, what can you say to them to 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 give them some? optimism about, hey, you know, stick through this and, and it's going to be okay in the end? Well, I guess it depends on, so what gets them down, you know? And, and Chris, I know exactly what you're talking about. We all have mutual friends that we could sort of point to who are not happy in their jobs, you know? And are they not happy in their jobs because they're not given the resources to do it? I, I don't know. But for me, I love solving problems I have a very creative sort of approach to um, to thinking about assets and resources, you know, so I don't get stuck in some old models. I mean, it's kind of like I'm, I've oh, maybe I'm too willing to kind of throw it all up in the air and see what happens. But I think when you're in, in lots of change, I think that you have to be willing to do that, and some people aren't. Um, I've got some dear friends that, um, you know, wish it wouldn't change. Well, it is what it is, and you got to deal with it. And I would say to them, you need to get out, you know. So I, I don't mean to be harsh about it because I have had my down times too. But you know, you got to find joy in what you do because we spend so much time in these jobs that when you think about whether you could spend time with your husband or your children or your grandchildren, this had better be giving you some joy. And if it isn't, then you need to go and find something. I mean, I love coming to work every day. I I have my bad days, don't get me wrong. I'm not, you know, I'm not on pharmaceuticals or anything, and, <laughs> and, and I don't have to up my antidepressants or anything. But, I mean, you know, I find joy every day coming in and, and meeting with people and talking about how we can advance MedStar's mission. I mean, I just really – and I felt that way at Scripps, and I was at Ohio Health, and I was at Spectrum Health, and um, I love healthcare. It is one of the few industries that – constantly will challenge you. You have to be smart and you have to stay up on things. I love working with smart people, you know. Um, So this has been a really good fit for me, which is why I think I've done well from a career perspective, um, because it it meets a lot of my personal needs as well. Um, I can't imagine, you mentioned um, Steelcase um, in Grand Rapids or what have you. I have a very good girlfriend who works for Steelcase. She loves her job, you know, and I and we've had these conversations. I said, I don't know how you get enjoyment. You know, I don't know where you find your enjoyment. She goes, I get it from sales and making money and da-da-da, and that's never been attractive to me. Right. So I like it in making progress and helping people, and so that's probably a very good reason why Steelcase would never hire me because I'm not <laughs> fixated on that. But, you know, it's got to be a fit. And and sometimes people are stubborn. They, they don't know when it's not a good fit and they should leave. I've counseled more people out of healthcare marketing, but the ones I've counseled in have found themselves to be very, very happy. Yeah. So, well, I mean, good. you know it, too. You've met lots of our colleagues. You know that it's almost a grind for them now. And it's like, good Lord, don't you have more self-respect in terms of your time? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you you got to just 
think about where could you you're you're never going to get that hour back you know <laughs> so, <laughs> so why would you spend it doing that you know so that's kind of been my philosophy you know and and the day that I feel like I'm not making a contribution or I'm an obstacle would be the day that I would definitely leave yeah no that's very inspiring that's yeah. good we just we just run into a lot of folks that are I, I think Gene it's a lot of it is just they've a lot of them want to do the right thing or they want to change, mm-hmm. but they're in a situation where they can't seem to overcome the internal barriers, which are usually folks in the, in positions of power, physicians right. or administrators who won't let them do what they think they need to do or who are still kind of stuck in um, thinking about things in an old way or an ineffective way. And, uh, you know, you can just see that, I mean, that weariness in their eyes when they when you bring up something new and they're like, oh my gosh, how are we yeah. ever gonna pull that well, off? Well, you know, to, without knowing all the details, just for sitting afar, if I were to come up to a situation like that, you have to give it your best shot to explain <clears throat> or educate the person you need to make this argument to. And if you find you can't do that, then you're never going to be effective in that job. And if you're never going to be effective, why would you keep going there? I mean, I know that's very simplistic, but the bottom line is, and you're probably too kind to say this on this um, webcast, but one of the things that I am noted for is being very direct. And um, I have the scars to show it, too. But it's kind of like, you know, really? No, we're not doing a newsletter, doctor. I mean, I know that's that's (laughs) probably what you think, but that's not going to work. And let me tell you why, you know. you know, I've had doctors come and tell me that marketing is their hobby. And I said, so are you expecting me then to listen to what you're going to tell me from your hobby versus what I do as a career? You know, right, I'm right. always very respectful, but I mean, let's call it what it is. Um, and doctors do think newsletters are the answer to everything. <laughs> so yes. I have, um, I have always been very upfront with how I feel, um, I haven't always been successful. Um, it hasn't always done me well, but I just don't know how I could go back to my office and just twiddle my thumbs again. I have left jobs for that reason, you know, right. that I thought things weren't going to change and I wanted to do more. And But that's me. That's what drives me. No, that's Some people great. like things that don't change. I don't know. I suppose I think healthcare also attracts some of those folks uh, because it's a, it's a pretty conservative industry. Yep. You know, there there used to be a joke, and I don't know if it's still true, but you know, you, nobody ever gets fired in healthcare, uh, and I think that's changing a little. But you still, you know, I think healthcare marketers have gotten off the hook for the last twenty thirty years as far as being held accountable for what they do, mm-hmm. uh, and all of that's changing. And so, oh yeah, I think it's a scary but, you time. Know, you know, Chris, I used to, I say in this class as well as in presentations, if I was the vice president of marketing for Coca-Cola, what would they expect me to do? Sell more Coke, right? Right. This is not a job. This, If I can't demonstrate what I'm doing with every penny I have, I have no business having that money. Mm-hmm. It's not, no one's giving me, I'm not a trust fund baby that people have given me money to spend. Any, I, I have got to do something that contributes to the strategy and the annual operating of this organization. So we hold ROI um, very high. I mean, we have written plans that are quantifiable. We do rolling financial um, 
reports every 6, 12, and 18 months on campaigns to show how much revenue we've driven to the system. Everything we do has got ROI on it, and I share that with our corporate executive team every quarter. So they see exactly what we're doing, and they also see what we save. So if I negotiate a better contract with a newspaper, they see what the cost savings is to the organization. And just that alone, I mean, the first year I think we saved $2.9 million in going, going to system contracts versus everybody having their own contract. You know, right. or negotiating a media management company who who will do ten percent instead of fifteen percent, but balance all your media for you. You know, you, there's just some things that um, you've got to be able to say. This is what we got for that. Um, and I don't know, I, people who haven't done that are just fooling themselves. You know mm-hmm. that they're they're doing marketing because marketing is definitely about business driving it or saving money for your company. So. Absolutely. We need to. Can we can all this and like sell it on the street? <laughs> I <laughs> wish I could. There's got to be a better way to make a or an easier way to make a living, don't you think, Chris? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think you just need to take your show on the road and, and charge people for your wisdom. That's easier. So I um I was on vacation about um, God. It seems like 50 years ago. I think it was three weeks ago. And I'm sitting on a beach in Antigua, and I'm saying to the woman I'm on vacation with, um, we both dive, so we go together. And um, I said to her, how come we can't figure out how to make enough money selling beads on this beach? (laughs) 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 And and she's in a healthcare-related organization, and she's like, I know, what's wrong with us? And um, so we laugh about it, but then we come back to work at about... A week ago, she sent me an email saying, was it 10 years ago we were on vacation? Because it sure feels like (laughs) you just jump right back into it. I think that's the recurring, that is the recurring dream of all healthcare marketers is to be Tom Cruise in cocktail or or just, I'm going to buy a bar on some Caribbean island and just be, and sell beads and and Coronas. Absolutely. We met a gentleman down there who um, does nothing but charter yacht trips for people between St. Martin, Antigua, and Montserrat, and I said, I want your job, you know, and uh, he loves it. He loves it. He works six months out of the year, makes enough money, you know, but uh, yeah, there are people who have made that true, and uh, I just wasn't smart enough or creative enough to figure out how to do it. (laughs) All right, Gene. Well, we're hitting our, our limit, and, and we always go past our limit, which is fine, but that's mm-hmm. a good place to wrap up. So appreciate you joining us today. Anytime. Anytime. This has been fun. It's a little bit like, wait, wait, don't tell me, isn't it? A little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, we've been doing this for what now? Is this our fourth year? I think it's our fourth year of this Wow. Wow. Number 186. Actually, yep. it's 185, actually. Oh, whoops. Messed up. Oh, no. We're going to have to. <laughs> Sorry. We have That's to, great. we got to start all over, Gene. We gotta... <laughs> I tell you. So, Chris, when are you going to be coming back east again? Uh, that's a good question. You know, there's no big conferences out there. Are you going to be at the Forum in May? I assume, Where's right? Where's the Forum? It's Scottsdale. I'm at the, I'm at the Forum in November. The Forum? Oh, the physician one? I don't think it's the physician one. What is that? Oh, I better check. See how see how smart I am. I can't even remember where I am. Um, I, this I was so bad, Chris. Uh, they asked me to speak at one of the forums because I spoke at HCIC, the Internet Conference, uh-huh. and I said I can, but I, I can't. I just it's too much work. And then they called me back and they said Karen Corrigan says if you present with her, she'll do all the work. I said okay. 
<laughs> I don't even know. Um, but I thought it was Scottsdale in November. I think it's in May. Oh, well, I better check then, huh? Yeah, you might want to. I might end up in beautiful Arizona in May instead of November. Okay, I will check. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. No, I'm so, going down to AAMC next week or next month for the um, for their conference. I don't even know what that acronym is. You know, the American Medical Colleges, the Association of American Medical Colleges. It's all the academic medical centers. Oh, we have, George, okay. we have Georgetown and Washington Hospital Center, so I'm presenting down there. But yeah, but we need to get together. We need to chit chat. Yeah, absolutely. I'll okay. keep a look on my calendar, and if I'm headed out east, I will. I will give you a shout. I get Perfect. out there once in a while, so. Perfect. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining. And You're I'll welcome, guys. Thank sign you. Sign off. Let's see for Eric and Healthcare Marketing Bastards. This is Chris Bevelo, Adam Meyer, Katie Streeter. And Gene Hitchcock. Thank you, Gene. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Take you. care, guys. Take Bye-bye. care, everybody. Bye. Bye.